1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Lang Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. We are coming at you right after Ohio State's win over Nebraska. Final score, 26-17. Josh, not quite what we had expected in this game, a little bit of a weird football game, but it just seems like that's what Nebraska does.
0: Yeah, um, I'm feeling very underwhelmed, I think is the best way to put it. Um, I am normally the... A wins a win guy and it's like oh you know some are better than others but you take it you survive in advance this was a crappy win um and that's that's not a shot at Nebraska actually I came away from this game more impressed with their roster and their players but you know um equally non-impressed by their coaching but it's a credit to Nebraska I think they played well especially on defense but Ohio State shouldn't be held to twenty six points with all the opportunities they had. Um, they shot themselves in the foot far too often. So a really disappointing victory if that really means such a thing,
1: yeah, and we'll get into some of, you know, the the shortcomings of Ohio State in this game that led to a closer than predicted final score. But at the end of the day, you know, on paper, this is Nebraska's worst loss of the season. They hadn't lost the game before this uh, by more than eight, and they lost this game by nine. So, statistically, Ohio State beat Nebraska by more than you know Oklahoma, Michigan State, and all the teams that have played them previously. But yeah, like Josh said, it wasn't exactly pretty, but I did want to start on some of the the positives in this game, and I think for that we'll start on the defensive side of things where I thought Ohio State's defense played really excellent in this game, especially going up against you know a mobile quarterback, which is something that they've struggled against in the past. I thought they did a really good job on defense, pretty much across the board. They did have, you know a couple, of big plays they let up for touchdowns, but that was really the entire source of Nebraska's offense on those two defensive breakdowns in the secondary. And other than that, I thought the defensive lines played spectacularly. They had another five sacks in this game. It was a big game for both Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. Each had a sack. I think Tyreek Smith is playing some of his best football these past few weeks. He seems unblockable out there in one-on-one, and if the Big Ten refs ever realize that he's being held on like 90% of snaps, he'll be potentially even better. Um, A couple of the guys got sacks in this game. Javante Jean-Baptiste got one. Uh, Jack Sawyer got one. It looked like he got kind of banged up in this game. I don't know if we saw him for the rest of the game after that. He was kind of like holding his chest, and I don't know if we'll hear about that more. We're Me and Josh are recording this pretty much right after the game on Saturday, so I'm sure we'll learn more as the days go on. But he did look like he kind of left the game after that, and I don't remember seeing him after that. And then Ronnie Hickman had the, the last sack to round out the five. So I thought the defensive front played really well. I thought the linebackers held their own really well as well, especially without... Steel Chambers in the first half, I thought, you know, we have saw more of Tommy Eikenberg in this game. I think he's been really good in in limited snaps. I thought Cody Simon played well, and Taraja Mitchell, you know, was doing his thing out there as well. So the front seven of this team has been kind of the strengths, and it continued to be against Nebraska. I thought, you know, the secondary was good other than the couple of breakdowns. They didn't really allow a ton over the top. I thought Denzel Burke played really well. He had that one really nice pass deflection on a, on a deep ball to Samari Touré. Um, so I, I thought he played well, and, you know, obviously without – um who I Without you know, seven banks played a lot more in this game than we expected because you know Cam Brown was kind of Cam Brown is kind of perpetually beat up and he did exit in this game early, but he did come back. So it was kind of the same same trio out there we're used to seeing with with Brown, Banks, and Burke, and I thought they played pretty well. And you know, we'll we'll talk about the safety play later on because I want to focus on the good things here. But I thought as a whole, Ohio State's defense played really well in this game.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. I was really impressed with them, uh, with the exception of safety play. I, I think we have to talk about that. I have been defending Bryson Shaw, not outright defense, but, you know, saying, hey, give him some time. He'll learn. He's getting better. Um, he's not good and, and nothing personal against the kid. Um, he's not necessarily the one that was burnt, but just his I, I don't know what it is, his football IQ. They talk about him being the cerebral player and this good athlete and this and the other. He's never in position and he's never taking the right angle so on the big uh the first big torre play he completely vacated the middle of the field and uh ransom got burnt a couple of times now the the corners need to help on torre i think i don't know who was matched up with him specifically at the beginning of those first two plays i'd have to go back and look but um the safety play needs to get better i think that as the season goes along we thought we'd see more improvement than we have we're missing Josh Pryor immensely. But other than that, I do think the defense played really well. The defensive line, super aggressive as a unit or as a, uh, a group. We talked about the five sacks. I think that they limited the Nebraska run game really until the second half. I think it it may have been a game of possum or maybe Nebraska when they realized they had a real shot. They decided to deploy Adrian Martinez more on the ground he found some success in the third and fourth quarters but other than that I think the 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 guys up front the whole rotation really played well I do notice though that Haskell Garrett I don't know if he was on a snap count I don't know if he got banged up Uh, zero stats across the board for Haskell Garrett so not much of a presence but the other guys played well Um, Harrison and John Baptiste had the sacks on back-to-back plays. I thought they looked really good. The linebackers played fine. I I would have to say, though, that when Martinez started to run the ball more in the second half, especially I think it was the second-to-last drive, um, he got out of the pocket. Tommy Eichenberg did a 180 and put his numbers facing Adrian Martinez. He got a big 20-yard gain, so they still have to shore some things up. But all in all, held Nebraska to 17 points. Adrian Martinez had 248 passing, but I think more than half or about half were on the two plays to Torre. They ran the ball total 34 times for 113 yards, 3.3 average. You're going to give up points in college football period today. So to only give up 17, I thought they played pretty well. And that was really, that's what won them the game, frankly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The defense, as we expected, you know, going in week to week, Ohio State's defense would win them a football game. Totally, totally unexpected thing to happen. But yeah, you know, most of what you said, I, I totally agree with. I think, you know, Lathan Ransom, I feel like has been kind of hit or miss this year. And this was a particularly tough game for him. I think both of the long touchdowns were kind of his assignment to start with. And then obviously there was missed tackles on the back end of both of those plays. But it was his man originally kind of got burnt off the line. So, you know, it, it, he's a young player. He'll continue to learn. But it was a, a tougher game for him. Bryson Shaw, I've been hard on all year, and I'm going to continue to be hard on because I, I just simply think that there's there's no way there isn't a player on this team that could fill that spot better. Uh, you know, a guy, like, in this game specifically, I thought Marcus Williamson played really awesome in this game. He had a lot of big plays. I saw his name being called a ton. It seemed like every time he was on the field, he was flying to the football. Let that guy play safety. Like, what, like he's played safety here before, and I know he wasn't particularly yeah. great at it, but he looks like a much better player this year. And, you know, I just... Bryson Shaw just isn't the guy. Like I I'm sorry to Bryson Shaw. He's just he doesn't have it. He he clearly he doesn't have the vision to play safety. He doesn't have it.
0: Yeah. And the thing about Williamson is he's decisive and he's aggressive. I think Bryson Shaw, because of kind of past performance, he's hesitant or he's still thinking out there a lot. Marcus Williamson knows what he wants to do and where he wants to go. So I I agree with you. I think trying him at safety is at least worth it at this point.
1: Yeah, and like you know, the, the the knock on Josh Proctor was that he was kind of a boomer bust safety, and that you know you kind of take the, the highs with the lows there, and that's I feel like that's more of what Marcus Williamson is because of how like you know like you said he's decisive, he's gonna he's gonna pick his play and he's gonna go for it. But I would rather have that than a guy that's just never in the right spot ever. So I mean, I would take boomer bust over all busts. and I think they have to you know if they're gonna play teams in the playoffs that could throw the ball, they're probably not gonna play. You know, obviously Purdue has David Bell coming up, and and Michigan State and Michigan are both good offenses, but neither of them are particularly pass heavy. If they're going to play a pass-heavy team in, in the playoffs. They're going to get destroyed with Bryson Shaw back there, and they have to kind of figure something out, whether it be Marcus Williamson or a Court Williams or something. There has to be a player on this roster that could just at least be a, a decent safety and, and at least just be a, be the stopper at the end of the defense. You don't have to come up and make crazy plays. You don't have to have tackles for loss or making picks. Just be the back end of the defense and make that tackle when your corners or your linebackers get beat, and we just we don't have that right now. But yeah, to, to not- You think, Gene? Yeah, go ahead.
0: Do you think that it would be worth it? I know Ronnie Hickman is the leading tackler on this team. I think he performs very well at the bullet position. And he does, in all fairness, he does play some or quite a bit of coverage. But do you think that it would be an option or do you think it will be looked at to make him a safety or the safety and see somebody else more at the bullet?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think they really want to move Ronnie Hickman. I I think he does play. He does play a little better being closer up to the line. I don't know how good he would be as kind of that like stopper at the back end. I think he's more, you know, I think he is perfect as kind of a linebacker safety hybrid kind of in the middle level of that defense. Um, I don't know how well he'd fare over the top, but I mean, the easy move, I guess, would be to put him at safety and let Marcus Williamson play that bullet because they're kind of similar players in that regard. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, when you have the talent Ohio State has on this roster, you know, it's not not like Bryson Shaw came in here as a five star expected to be well. I'm pretty sure he was like a low three star, if that. So there just simply has to be a guy on this. this this team, I don't know, you know, freshmen, whatever, young guys, there has to be a safety out there that, that knows what they're doing at least a little better. And you have to, you know, next week against Purdue, you'll, you'll probably have a little bit of a chance to maybe try someone else out. You're going to play a, a better passing offense with David Bell out there, but not much else outside of him. So if there was a time to try a safety, it would probably be then, but they I, they don't really seem in a hurry to do that. And especially when the defense, you know, they only let up 17 points. And like we said, it was mostly On big plays. So I don't know if they really see much of an issue out there, but I think it's pretty clear if there is, you know, a a prominent hole in this defense is at the safety spot. But like we said, otherwise, you know, I thought they played well. The linebackers aren't spectacular, but they are what they are. And when you're playing a a 4-2-5 defense like Ohio State is playing more these days, you know, there's only two linebackers on the field. You're asking a lot of them, especially with a a mobile quarterback to, to be that middle level. So it was good to have guys like Marcus Williams and Ronnie Hickman out there to kind of assist in that middle level defense and stop the quarterback run a little bit. And you know, for for the most part, they did a good job. They didn't let up a ton of rushing yards to Nebraska. Um, and I think it's still it, Chambers. Yeah, Steel Steel Chambers. Chambers Steel Chambers came with his first pick of the year on that that uh, that, to end the game there on a tipped ball late. Steel Chambers looks really good as he continues to do. Only played the second half because of the targeting against Penn State, but Steel Chambers has quickly become probably this team's best linebacker. And uh, you know, I really like to see it. It's good for him. I'm glad he you know found his his spot on this team because you know he he wasn't if he was staying at running back he wasn't going to play. It's just you know there's too many guys in that room. So to, to go into a spot that Ohio State needed and to excel at it has been really nice to see for Steel Chambers.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say props to him. He had six tackles in just one half and the game ceiling interception, although it was probably over at that point. Um, He definitely infused something into that defense with his kind of introduction in the second half. But I was surprised that Nebraska didn't try more of the quarterback run in the first half. You know, they were in the game for the entirety of the game and they had some success really moving the ball with Adrian Martinez on the read options and things like that. I still say it was a bit of a game of possum, but I'm surprised that we didn't see much of it until the second half.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much of that was because, like, Adrian Martinez was kind of banged up early on yeah. or what have you, but, you know, they didn't really give the ball to their running backs at all. It was mostly the rushing game was almost entirely Adrian Martinez, which is kind of how this Nebraska team works. But I thought, you know, with the way that they're running the ball, at least early, you know, they might have tried a little bit more, especially with, you know, the passing game wasn't working and Ohio State getting so much pressure from the defensive line. It definitely could have been a thing that they looked to do, but. You know, at the end of the day they, they ran for 113 yards. Most of those are Martinez. And I think, you know, against a team like Nebraska that focuses on the run, I think that's a good day for the Ohio State defense. Um other than that, you know, they, they didn't really know there wasn't a ton of turnovers out there. It was just that pick at the end for for Ohio State there. CJ Stroud threw two picks, but we'll get to the offense in a little bit. But not a ton of turnovers in this game. It was a it was kind of a weird game, you know. Nebraska just kind of forces you into these games where they keep it close. Like I said, they've only this was their biggest margin of defeat this year. And so I think, you know for a team that likes to muck it up on offense and they run a lot of weird things. You know, they had a couple plays out of the wishbone. They obviously had the threat of the QB run. They have all these really tall, talented receivers. I thought, you know, for, for especially from what this defense was early in the year, I think we've seen that they have actually taken a step up. And I know Nebraska isn't maybe one of the more elite offenses in the country, but with the way that this team looked early on, you know, the style of offense Nebraska played could have been a really, you know, if this team played Ohio state first, second game of the year, they might've won the game. So I think it's, we've seen some growth on this Ohio state defense, and I think they continue to get better each and every week.
0: Yeah, they are progressing while the offense is regressing these past couple of weeks. I want to go back to the defensive line too. I don't know if you caught it during the game. Um, Obviously, we're Ohio State homers, and I think Joel Klatt is a bit of an Ohio State homer as well, but late in the game, it was in the second half uh, sometime, he said that he thinks Ohio State's front four
1: is the best in the country. Did you catch that? Yeah, I don't know if he's like I, I, you know, the numbers are there. Like Ohio State actually has like a ton of sacks on the year, especially having not had like a, any in the first two weeks. The the numbers they have now are, are pretty high up there. So, you know, they're they're playing well right now. But I, you know, I've, I've watched Georgia play football, so I'm not quite to that level. But I do think you know Ohio State's, you know, especially Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, those guys have really turned it up late. Obviously, we've we've talked highly about the defensive tackles all year, how good they've been. Um, so, I, you know, I think they're they're doing really well right now. They're really strong. I'm not ready to say they're the best in the country, but they have been, you know, probably the, the the best unit of the defense recently. And that's a big change for what it was earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, I don't know if at any given time they're the best four, but I think they might be or they are approaching the deepest. You know, they've got Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, Javante John Baptiste, JTT, and... Uh, Jack Sawyer all on the outside playing well when they get an opportunity for the most part. And then inside, I think Teron Vincent has looked a lot better, uh, especially compared to the beginning of the season. I was ready to put Tylee Williams in there 100% of the time. And we've seen very little of him because I think Vincent's playing better. Jerron Cage had a big play last week. Obviously, he's playing better. Antoine Jackson, the ninth-year senior is playing pretty well. And that's without Haskell Garrett. Again, I mentioned no stats in this game. I know that he was in it and uh, he tried to block a field goal, I think sometime in the second half, but he has not been a big presence the last couple of weeks. But when he's healthy, I think the collection and the depth of those guys is really top notch.
1: Yeah. And I would definitely like to see more of Tyleek Williams with how good he looked you know, earlier in the year, but like you said, they have so many of these guys that are upperclassmen and so many of them all playing, you know, well, that it's not a huge deal if he doesn't play, you know, he's going to be here for it. Tylee Williams will have his time at Ohio State, that's for sure. I think he will be a very good defensive tackle here, but yeah, you know, f- f- especially with Haskell Garrett being mostly a no-show in this game to... Get the effort they had up the middle against the run, and then rushing the passer off the edge. I thought was really impressive. And you know, as we as we continue to talk about things that were impressive of this game, I guess we could talk about the one part of the offense that was impressive today, and that was Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, You know, Josh and I had talked in previous podcasts about how how good we think he is, and you know how well he's played, and he really put on display today without uh garrett wilson in the game who who missed it with what i've what what twitter has said is concussion protocol fox kept saying it was an undisclosed injury but i'm pretty sure he's in concussion protocol so it doesn't sound like it's anything that'll keep him out super long term i would imagine he'd be back in there against purdue but he was not in there this game and jack smith and jigba without garrett wilson there had an absolute field day he called 15 passes for 240 yards and a touchdown obviously he had the long 75 yard touchdown where he broke everyone in nebraska's ankles in route to that score um Pretty much whenever Ohio State needed yards, they ran the, oh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is open over the middle play, which I'm a fan of. You know, this guy, it seems like he's always open over the middle. So if you ever need free yards, he seems like he's always there. He catches everything. You know, he's smooth with the ball. He takes good routes. And I just, you know, I'm really, really impressed with what Jackson Smith and Jigba has become this year as a true, you know, he's the number three receiver on his team. But he is a very, very, very good wide receiver.
0: Yeah, 15 catches is an Ohio State single-game record. The 240 yards is like second or third, I think. Terry Glenn had 253 back in the day. He is more or less the security blanket for C.J. Stroud. I think that they have a a strong bond, a strong relationship. Uh, Same goes for Garrett Wilson, but JSN was the guy that C.J. Stroud was looking for most often. He had 18 targets. Olave had 12 this kid's good, man. And and I didn't know how good he was going to be. You know, I, before the season, I was like, this is going to be a Julian Fleming, Fleming breakout season. Obviously he's been banged up. He finally got an opportunity today, <clears throat> excuse me, but he didn't do a whole lot. Jackson Smith and Jigba is, I would say, hands down the best third wide receiver in the country. And I think he's putting himself in the argument for, I don't know, best in the country is tough, but you can tell he has star potential. I think you could tell that throughout the season, but today was even more of a breakout for him to set the record like that. And you mentioned the Jackson Smith and Jigba over the middle play. I want to get into this now. We can talk about more of the play calling later if you want, but the middle of the field with this collection of talent, with this collection of pass catchers, It is wide open every single time they want to take advantage of it, and I don't know why we don't see it more. I mean, crossers and slants and sluggos, this team could feast, and I feel like they forget about it for periods of time, or they just don't utilize it the way that they could. You could run crossers with these two to three guys, and I think you could get a completion every single play. And I mean that, like these guys, the three of them, when they're all out there on the field, it's so hard to match up with them. And today, a lot of those catches were over the middle or they started over the middle. You know, and Jigba's touchdown that he had was kind of middle hash, but it wasn't really to the boundary per se. And then he turned. He broke number six on Nebraska's ankles that kid's got to retire now Um, and Olave to his credit was blocking the entirety of that play all the way down the field so kudos to him that's what Chris Olave does but I just don't know why they're not taking advantage of the middle of the field more maybe they maybe they're stubborn they're arrogant they want the big play but they could feast in the middle and I think that when they're in tight games they need to rely on that more than they do
1: yeah, I think, you know, I think stubbornness is kind of a, a theme of this game in terms of offensive play calling, but I do agree that when you have these three star wide receivers, if you're running them across each other's routes in the middle of the field, you're going to put these linebackers in such conflict, and there's no way they're going to be able to stick with all three of them at once. And you know, especially against a team like Nebraska that runs a three four, you'd think they'd have more coverage over the middle because they have the four linebackers out there, but it was almost worse for them because like they just had they had no idea where to be. Like they Jackson Smith and Jigba seemed like he was finding the soft spot in their zone every single time. And it was just, it was just easy completions for CJ Stroud, pretty much any time he needed it. And you know, at the end of the day, Ohio State only scored 26 points, but you know most of the work on offense in this game was done by Jackson Smith and Jigba in a key role. And like you said, you know Julian Fleming finally got a chance to. He was the official starter in place of Garrett Wilson. He only caught two balls for 22 yards. He also got robbed of no. a very clear catch that was, you know, yeah. called, called incomplete on the field. They reviewed it; it was clearly a catch. He got the foot down the sideline. It would have been a really, exactly. really cool catch for probably like about 20 yards on like a really long third down play. So he he could, he could have had a, a big impact there. It could have led to you know maybe more things for Ohio State, but nonetheless. Uh, it was clearly the Jackson Smith and Jigba show today. Uh, it was it was Chris Olave out there with the other touchdown. But yeah, you know, another good showing from him. But yeah, and talking about stubbornness, uh, we do have to talk about the, the play calling in this game for Ohio State and really for the past two games. I don't really know what's going on with Ryan Day. He You know, he seemed like this offensive mastermind for the first couple of weeks of the season with all the points Ohio State was scoring. And now the past couple weeks, it's just that the The play calling is so odd. It seems like they just, they refuse to run the ball two times in a row, especially when like it's working. Like it seems like every time they would give Trayvon Henderson the ball on first down, he'd get like five or six yards and then they'd throw like three more times in a row and it would just, it wouldn't work. So I don't really, I don't really get it. I think it's a lot of, you know, we saw more red zone issues in this game. And I think a lot of that is just the, the in a, in a, like the, non-willingness to run the football in the red zone. We saw the one time they did, you know, the one time they went to Trayvon Henderson three times to throw in the red zone, they got a first down, and then the next play they got a, a wide-open touchdown to the Chris Olave. So I just don't understand why they're not doing it more, especially down in the red zone. You have this star running back, and I know, you know, the stats on paper said he only, like, he was only averaging like four yards a carry, but it just felt like every time he touched the ball, you know, they were getting positive yards, and you can't say that when you're throwing incompletions. I don't think there's any reason... For C.J. Stroud to be throwing 54 passes in a game against Nebraska, that is far too many. There's no need for it. I I just think that Ohio State needs to kind of get back to its roots and run the football more. And I know at the end of the day that Trayvon Henderson had 21 carries, but it was just the way that they were using him in this game felt weird. It just felt like the play calling was glitchy. It was off. Like they didn't seem to have any sort of game plan. It was just like they were throwing out plays whenever they felt like it and, you know, seeing what stuck. And it was just, it was odd to watch. It was really frustrating. And I know that, you know, with all the talent on this team, they should be able to put up a million points on everyone. And it just seems like the last two weeks, they've really hamstrung themselves with some bad play calling.
0: Yeah. I have never been one to question Ryan Day's play calling. I think he is an offensive genius, but it is at least fair to say you don't understand, or I don't understand the last couple of games, especially the interior run, the, the zone run right up the middle has not been effective. And maybe that's because of the four tackle line that you're running out there. But again, it comes back to CJ Stroud is not a threat. So that zone play, even if you don't want to call it a zone read or a zone option, um, there needs to be an option or an alternative to it because when the defense sees that play, they're collapsing the middle. Now they may get burnt over the top um, if it's a play action pass, but if that ball gets handed off in the middle, it's amounting to nothing. Whereas if they run off tackle or they try and get Travion Henderson outside, it, it seems to me much more effective. So They need to figure that out. I don't know if it's something they're trying to get better at and work through before they go against a Michigan State and a Michigan, but at some point you just got to go away from it. Or especially if CJ Stroud is not going to be a threat. You need to concentrate and focus more on the outside run because I think that gives you a better opportunity at hitting the home run, which Trayvon Henderson has been so good at all season. So the one thing I would have to push back on is the run the ball, run the ball crowd. I feel like Ohio State did run the ball. Trayvon Henderson had 21 carries. With with this offense and the firepower they have, I don't expect Trayvon Henderson to have 30 carries. His, his high for the season, I think, is 25. He's still a freshman. It seems like they don't trust the backups as much as they did earlier in the season. So you can't continue to just run him into a roadblock 30 35 times so I think they did try to run the ball and they tried to establish it but at some point it's not working so you have to look for alternatives I don't think CJ Stroud would have had to throw 54 passes had they had more success but when Travion Henderson's barely averaging four yards per carry I think that's why you're going to see more of the pass game especially the short passes but um they need to figure out what was working so well earlier in the season. And I do think it involves the outside run because this interior run game is just not working right now. I don't know if Luke Whipler has fallen off, you know, he's going against better competition. He's the youngest guy, but I don't want to you know pick on him or single him out because I think he's been solid throughout the season. And honestly, he made potentially a game saving play by falling on a fumble and he had his snap issues, but I still think he's been solid. It, maybe it comes down to Mumford and Paris Johnson. Paris Johnson got beat multiple times today. And I had high expectations for him. I still do. I think he's a good lineman. I think he can be a great lineman. But he got beat a handful of times. And Nebraska's defensive line, especially, it's not a strength for them. This shouldn't have been so difficult. They have great linebackers. I wrote about them this week as like my defensive unit to watch because I think all three and a half of them – or 4 when Demond plays like that true linebacker position. I think they're really really good, but Nebraska's defensive line is not. So to only average 3 yards per carry in totality, that's not good enough. And I know that involves the sack numbers, but and the the big loss on the fumble, but you're only going to go against better competition as you get later into the season. Maybe not Purdue, but definitely with Michigan State and Michigan Stick with what works and the interior run game is not working right now. So coach stud needs to get those guys going, light a fire under them or try a Matt Jones or somebody more. He started the game because Dewan Jones wasn't feeling well. Uh, and then I think he was out pretty quickly because Dewan Jones played the majority of the game. They need to figure something out. And I think it comes down to creativity. You mentioned it. I mentioned it. Maybe it's arrogance or stubbornness, but throw in a counter. Throw in something with misdirection. Throw in a reverse, for goodness sakes. The dive play up the middle is just, it's becoming the vein of my existence.
1: Yeah, I think it's time for us to really sit down and decide if the four tackles offensive line is a good idea. And I think the overwhelming you know, evidence these past few weeks would show you that it's, it's just not, you can't do that to run the football. It's just, you can't expect these tackles to block like guards because they they're not used to it. Like Paris Johnson, like you said, He had a really tough game in this one. I think he got beat a lot. And I don't really think it's his fault. He was a five star tackle and he came here to play tackle and he's playing guard. You know, same thing with Thayer Munford. Thayer Munford's a tackle, he's playing guard. And I think it's really tough for these guys to get into some of these run blocking assignments because they just haven't done it. And I I think you're really limiting yourself if you're Ohio State by having those four guys out there once. And I know, you know, I think the pass block has been, you know, good to okay with the four tackles, but I think, you know, I think this line would work a lot better if you threw in at least one guard out there, if not two. And I don't know who you take off the field, I don't know what you do to fix that, but it does seem like it's something that needs to be at least discussed within Ohio State's offense because they are having really tough time run blocking and I you know, they have this this really really good running back, but he can only do so much when there's literally nowhere to go once he gets handed the football. So I think that was, you know, one of the big issues again for Ohio State in this game and another one for me Uh, I think Ryan Day misunderstood the assignment a bit when we asked for C.J. Stroud to run a little bit more. I don't need designed runs for C.J. Stroud, and I don't really need him even to take it off a keeper play or off a read. I just want him to take the free five yards when he rolls out and there's no one in front of him. There was a ton of times in this game where CJ Stroud is rolling out to the sideline looking for a guy downfield, and he had a free like 8 to 10 yards in front of him he just ran out to the sideline and just ran out of bounds. And he just refuses to take it. I don't really know why. Um, I think it would kind of force defenders to come up a little bit if they know that he could escape the pocket and run. But that's, that's what I want for CJ Stroud. I don't want design runs for CJ Stroud. I don't even want him to keep it on options. I don't care about that at all. I want that when he rolls out of the pocket and he sees green grass in front of him for him to take it. And I know that he's been so good at extending plays this year and you know more often than not he's done a good job of finding someone open and getting the ball out or at least throwing it away, but you know in this game, you know, he of course he had that fumble late on a, you know, on a pass play that probably shouldn't have been called in the first place, but that can't happen and I just I think that you know if if CJ Shao is more willing to run when it's being given to him because teams are clearly not scared of it at this point, as Nebraska was was not at all. Um, I think that would go a long way. And I think that's, you know, those are a lot of free hidden yards in a game that you're you're missing without him doing that.
0: Yeah, it's something my dad used to tell me, and it's a pretty common saying, you can't go broke taking a profit, right? He has these five, six, eight, ten yard gains in front of him all day. But the willingness is still not there. He did keep it on one read option today. It wasn't a big game, but it got a first down. I think it was a a second or third and short, two yards to go. He got four. He got down. He didn't get hurt. He lived to fight another day. So it's there. It's there for the taking, but teams know that he's not willing to do it or he's not looking to do it. So they can sell out against that run even more. And I think that we've seen that again, more and more as the season has progressed, the absence of him as a threat, it allows those teams to sort of not load the box because you can't do that with Ohio state's pass catchers, but anytime they're guessing run or they're selling out against the run, they're looking at one guy and that's Travion Henderson. So Again, it comes down to creativity. Ryan Day is one of the most creative offensive play callers there is, but he's been pretty conservative these last couple of weeks. And I don't know if it's that Urban Meyer mentality of just win the game, play not to lose, but you know, I need to get, he needs to get back in his bag a little bit, dial up the creative stuff, dial up the fun stuff. Maybe Purdue allows them another opportunity to sort of get their swagger back, but you can't just rely on nine and ten point victories as the season goes on. You need to continue to be creative. He's willing to, I guess, stay aggressive when it comes to like down uh, yardage and down situations. But the play calling itself has been lacking the last couple of games. So, and then that's putting more on C.J. Stroud. I think today, especially, he, I won't say he played poorly, but he wasn't sharp and it was another slow start which we've seen from him in the past he did throw two picks the one was terrible the one he threw up to Olave deep that was just a poor poor decision but 54 pass attempts you know a lot of those were just short down stuff um but the more pressure on him the more opportunity for him to make some of those freshman mistakes which again he's a true freshman and he's avoided most of the or a Redshirt freshman, I should say. And he's avoided most of those mistakes. But today it almost came back to bite him. Two turnovers, whereas Nebraska didn't have one until the very end of the game. If you lose that battle, then who knows what happens with this game.
1: Yeah, this was certainly one of the the tougher games for Stroud. I don't think he played poorly. You know, he finished with 405 yards, but... You know he he did have you know he did have the two picks. The first one, like you said, was really bad. He almost threw another one when he was just trying to throw the ball away. He didn't get it like far enough to the sideline, and one of the Nebraska linebackers almost made like a, and a the diving fumble. play. Talk and, about the fumble and the fumble like that. That just can't. I, I like once again, you shouldn't be calling a pass play in that situation. I have no idea why we're passing when Ohio State just got a first down and could pretty much run out the clock on the game. Especially because like the last couple times they give it to Trayvon Henderson, he got a first down, and they call up a passing play. He rolls out. He doesn't get rid of the ball. He fumbles it, and if not for Luke Whipper falling on it, that could have been a massive turning point in that game. Um, there was also the play on the where he didn't get the ball. I don't know. He kind of got hit as he threw it, but it was the the intentional grounding play where he didn't quite get it out of bounds. So I don't really. It, it was a weird day for Stroud. Um, I'm not ready to give up on him as some are yet, but you know he he did have a tough one out there. Um, but but I think it all comes back to the play calling. I think he wasn't really put in the best spot to succeed today. I thought, you know, you talked a little bit about how Day's still aggressive, and I, I'd push back even on that a little bit just because I feel like there's been, these last two weeks, especially with a lot of this red zone stuff, there's like, you know, it'll be like a fourth and two or a fourth and one at like the 30, and he like kicks a field goal instead of going for it, and like I just I, I feel like last year Ryan Day wasn't doing that, and now he's kind of, I don't know if he doesn't trust his offense as much without Justin Fields out there or whatever it is, but it just seems like sometimes he's he's playing a little conservative, especially in these closer games. And there's a lot of times where Ohio State's past the 50, past the 40, and they're either, you know, they're punting or they're kicking a long field goal. And, you know, we're, we're over 30 minutes into this podcast. We haven't gotten to Ohio State's actual best player, Noah Ruggles. But um, at the end of the day, it is a little concerning. But, you know, uh, it's, you know, I don't know how much to take of it because, like we said, Nebraska does kind of just do this to teams. But it did now happen two weeks in a row where Ohio State... Struggled to score points, struggled in the red zone specifically. And I think a lot of it, you know, they obviously have the talent. I think a lot of it's coming down to the play calling and a lot of the decisions that are being made on, you know, down and distance and certain stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I need to see something change up at least next week against Purdue to be more confident in this Ohio State offense that looked unstoppable against the bad teams they played. And as they're starting to play a little tough competition, it's, it hasn't looked as easy.
0: Yeah, Gene, I've got two things for you. Going back to Stroud a little bit. He had a, a quote after the game. I'm looking at it on my phone right now, and it really sort of irks me. He said uh, they, they kind of asked him about his hesitancy to run or non-willingness to run or whatever. And he said, um, gosh, if my job was to run the ball, I'd be a running back. My job is to throw the ball. I throw the ball for a living. And that really irks me. We get it. We know it. you are not the most willing runner in the world, but that's almost bulletin board material or that's practice material for your opponents. You're basically, you're almost being defiant in your willingness to run the ball when you say something like that. So go back to the quote from last week, say, Hey, if it's there, I'm going to take it. I'm not afraid to do it, but to come out and say, Hey, it's not my job to run the ball. It's my job to throw it. That rubs me the wrong way. That's not something I want to hear from my quarterback in an offense that has certainly not, leaned on the quarterback run but utilized it in the past especially in this Ryan Day offense they don't use it a ton they used it more with Justin Fields obviously because of his capabilities as a runner but to come out and say something like that uh, you know don't love that and I wanted to talk about Chris Olave too Chris Olave is a touchdown machine he's one or two I think away from tying or breaking the Ohio State record but he had six catches today i'm sorry seven catches today only 61 yards he had the short touchdown which was a great move the fake fade that's almost a crime against humanity by chris olave that route was so clean and so crispy but he has not had a lot of the big plays recently he had 24 yards against indiana 44 against penn state 61 today he's getting in the end zone And he does have four 100-yard games on the season. But if you take away that Oregon game, he had 12 catches for 126 yards. He's only averaging like four or five catches a game. He's one of, if not the best wide receivers in the country. He can get open. CJ Stroud does not look for him as the primary wide receiver. Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba are his primaries. He leans on Olave, especially when he's looking for a first down. Olave is great on the deep ball, but I feel like they need to get him more involved, too. However it is, you know, throw him the screens that we don't love, but uh, or just look for him over the middle to get him open, deep, set up some double moves and things like that that he is so great with. He has not been utilized these last three weeks, and that's certainly not concerning because we have a ton of other pass catchers on the field, but I thought he was going to be 100 yards a game like David Bell productivity this year, and he's got four big ones, but the last three weeks are sort of a, we're seeing a trend. He's got a total of two, three, seven, 14 catches over his last three games. He's getting in the end zone, but he's one of the biggest threats in college football. I think you need to use him more.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, he's obviously their Ohio State's best deep threat. And I feel like, you know, I feel like Ohio State's kind of made the offense a little bit more simpler and kind of gone away from some of those deep shots. And I think that's why we're seeing a little bit less of Chris Olave. They did almost hit on one today. It was probably if it was a foot more inside, Chris Olave probably catches a long touchdown over the top. So it was a little overthrown there. But yeah, I just think, you know, they haven't really looked to throw deep a ton with C.J. Stroud. It seems like whenever they do, it's they're looking for Jeremy Ruckert for whatever reason. And I have no qualms with Jeremy Ruckert. But, you know, when you're going deep, it should probably be one of your stud wide receivers. Um, And yeah, you know, it is interesting to see that he's kind of fallen behind in the pecking order, it seems like, at least for C.J. Stroud. Behind Njigba, Smith Njigba, and Garrett Wilson, they do seem like, well, and they're like, those are the guys, like we said, there's been so much open over the middle, and those are the guys that usually do that kind of stuff, whereas Olave's more working on the outside, working deep. So I think that all comes into play. Um, Olave has had a bit of a problem with drops this year. I wouldn't say it's overly concerning. He was listed with five in this game, which I, I think is, I don't think that's accurate. That might just be like post game or whatever, because I don't remember him dropping five passes. I did remember one bad one he had early in the game. Uh, off on the left hash, I don't quite remember like what quarter is in, but I know it was early and it was a, it was a pretty wide open pass that he just straight up dropped. But you know, it, I don't think it's really anything of his doing that he's not catching the ball as much. Like you said, I think it's just kind of game plan stuff. I still think Olave is like one of the best route runners on the team. He's super smooth. He seems like always oh, open. But you know, I just think that the way. Ohio State's game plan has been it hasn't really involved him as much and you know maybe when they play some of these bigger teams they'll be looking to do more of that as they try to take the top off more defenses but yeah right now it seems like he's the third guy on that list for sure and then yeah going back to that going back to that Stroud quote before we move on that is that's really annoying to me like I I know you're like we're not asking you to run the triple option I just want you to take free five yards and run out of bounds when it's there instead of throwing it away and we need you know now it's second and ten instead of second and five.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a statue back there, he's actually gotten really, really good at stepping up in the pocket and avoiding pressure. Oh, he's pressure, been great but...
1: at stepping up and extending plays. I just want you to take free five yards on the sideline. That's all I'm asking. I don't want you to get hit. I don't want you to run an option play. I just want you to take five yards when it's there in front of you.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the drop stats, and I think what that is is I think that the site that we're looking at right now, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus because they've got real-time stats, but CJ Stroud had 18 incompletions and they have... Yeah, I think the Ohio just State. listing
1: incompletions. <laughs> <these drives.
0: laughs> and that that's a tough beat, man. If every incompletion's a drop, you don't want to find your name on this um, stat sheet that we're looking at. But yeah, going back to the Stroud thing, I don't want to harp on it too much because this kid is probably still a Heisman contender. He's probably in the top two, three, four, five, however you want to look at it. But to be defiant, I, I keep going back to that's fuel and that's fodder for your opponents. If you come out and you say something like that, the Michigan States and the Michigans of the world are going to be, they're going to see that quote and they're going to be like, okay, this kid has no interest in running the ball. So we don't have to worry about it. If, if you're playing possum or you're sitting on something great, and this is the greatest long con that we've ever seen from an Ohio state quarterback, but you have to be willing. This is not, You know, he can't be Tom Brady back there. Sorry, he's not as good as Tom Brady. And even Tom Brady, guess what? He's one of the best quarterback sneakers that's ever played football ever. Um, But in the college game and with the offense that Ohio State wants to run, you cannot have a complete unwillingness to tuck the ball. So I I hope that Ryan Day actually addresses that with him, Uh, you know, hopefully in private, but I don't know that he'll have anything to say with it in his press conference after the game or anything like that. But I think he needs to talk, sit CJ Stroud down and say, look, man, it's not necessarily what I'm asking from you frequently, but you've got to be that threat. You have to be an athlete back there because teams are going to hone in on that and they're just going to sell out completely against Travion Henderson or whoever's in there running the game. And it helps the play action pass too. If there's any sort of doubt in the defense's mind, the C.J. Stroud might tuck it and run it. They're gonna, you know, play off that play action a little bit differently. So it doesn't just affect the run game; it affects the pass game as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all intertwined. You know, Ryan Day always talks about that balance, and you know, right now it's not really there. The the, the it's they're definitely a little more pass heavy. The run hasn't been working quite as well. And, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of, because of those two things kind of playing off each other, it's, it's led to red zone issues and it's led to some, you know, quirky mistakes on offense. And I think, you know, obviously the penalties, once again, it's been uncharacteristic, but, you know, a bunch more just holding penalties, just for a lot of procedural stuff, you know, not a ton on defense is mostly on offense, but it, it's just, you know, it seems like it always comes in the worst time. Like it's just, you know, Ohio State will get some momentum and then they get a false start or a delay a game or whatever have you. And it's just, it's been kind of weird to watch these last few weeks. I don't know what that's quite about. Like, they seem like they're they're pretty focused, so I don't really know if it's just, you know, happenstance or what have you, but they, they certainly need to clean up the penalties, especially as they get sort of into the tougher teams on their schedule with Michigan State and Michigan coming up. So, they'll have one more, I want to say, tune-up game against Purdue, but I think Purdue will actually be another, you know, solid test, much like in Nebraska, because they do do some things well that could test Ohio State in some spots and I'm just looking for the score now I'm pretty sure last time I yeah they're up 14 to 7 on Michigan State as we're recording this mid-second quarter so they're not a team that you could take lightly oh, I would say and they're, they're push driving over. do we want that do we want Purdue to pull off an upset I don't think so I don't think we do and it's also like I would it's kind of annoying because it seems like it was the most predictable upset of all time and usually when that happens they don't actually win but I guess the same also just happened to Wake Forest who lost to UNC so it is just maybe one of those days but yeah, so Purdue you can't really take lightly. It's not like you're playing Rutgers next week. You will. Still, it's not like you go out there and play your stars for a half. I don't expect that to be the case, but they will have to you know work on these things you know in practice this week and then in that game before they play the two ranked teams left on their regular season schedule. But yeah, overall you know another survive and advance for Ohio State. They did win the football game. It wasn't pretty to watch by any means, but they did get the job done. Uh, Josh, did you have anything else that, that we didn't discuss yet that you wanted to touch on before we get out of here? <clears throat>
0: No, Gene, I just, you know, um, full disclosure, I'm not going to be, well, I'm going to be out of town. I'm not going to be able to talk post-Purdue. And and I know we're going to have a pre-game sort of pod that goes up early next week. But based on this game and based on what we saw last week against Penn State, what are sort of, what's the one or what are the two things that you want to see the most improvement from? What do you want to see? Differently, like give me one or two things that you think Ohio State has to change or improve moving forward to kind of get back to what they were doing, specifically on offense. I think the defense is playing really well, but what does Ohio State need to do to kind of reestablish itself?
1: Yeah, I think just like a, a, a situational play calling just needs to be a little bit better. There's, it seems like, you know, Ryan Day doesn't want to run the ball twice in a row. And it, at times that was really frustrating because especially in the red zone, you know, you'd run on first down with Trayvon Henderson, you get like five or six yards and then you throw into two incompletions in a row and now you're kicking a field goal where you could have, you know, maybe run a second time with Trayvon Henderson, maybe picked up three or four yards, gotten the first or at least gotten to maybe like a third and one scenario where maybe you could either run it again or throw a really quick, easy pass So. I think just situational play calling needs to be a bit better. I think they're getting a little too cute sometimes. The You know, we saw a, a screen pass in this game to Mitch Rossi, and if, if I ever see that play run <laughs> again, I am turning off my TV. I don't know what we're thinking with that. But, yeah, just little things like that. Like, we're just trying to get too cute at times. I think if we simplify it and kind of go back to just doing what we do best, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers like we were doing against the, the worst teams we played, you know, put the ball in the hands of your top three receivers, put the ball in the hands of Trayvon Henderson, throw a little Jeremy Ruckert in there if you want, what have you. But... Yeah, I think you just you know get the ball in the hands of your best players. Don't get too fancy. Don't get too cute. Take the free yards when you're there. Don't don't try to make everything. A, everything doesn't have to be a home run play. You know, get the first. Do whatever you can. I think it's just you know it's little stuff. I don't think it's anything. I don't think there's any like glaring issues for this team that are going to hold them back. I just think they have to clean things up here and there. Get rid of the penalties. Get rid of some of these silly calls to on plays that have no chance of working. Throw those out of the playbook, and then you know I think they could get, kind of get back on a roll on offense because there's just no way with the players they have on that side of the ball that they could be held down for too long unless they kind of get in their own way which they've been doing
0: yeah I want to see a big uh, performance out of the run game not that Travion Henderson has been bad by any means I mean today he almost seemed like a non-factor and he had 92 yards on the ground but I want to see them reestablish the run uh, I'd like to see them throw it outside a little or kind of run it outside a little bit more get Travion Henderson free get him in space they tried the uh he had six catches today but I don't really feel like they utilized him as a dangerous pass catcher. It was more some short stuff and there was one screens. play in this
1: game specifically where it wound up being a throw to Jack Smith and Jigba for a first down, but Trayvon Henderson ran a wheel route yeah, and yeah. he was wide open. Like there was no safety there. It would have been a touchdown. He just I don't know if Stroud just didn't see him or I think it's Smith and Jigba was like in his line of sight, so he saw him first. But that wheel route to to Trayvon Henderson will work again. It's worked before and it will work again. He was wide open this game, they just didn't see him.
0: Yeah, there were actually two of those. Uh, The one wheel route to Trayvon Henderson, I know exactly which play you're talking about. And then there was another one where I don't remember the outcome of the play, but Chris Olave had just sort of run sort of a deep cross, wide open over the middle. Yeah. And he extended and he was wide open. So that just goes back to CJ Stroud. Again, he's playing great, but Sometimes he has that uh, the opposite of that tractor beam. He's got such a narrow focus on JSN or somebody underneath that he's he's leaving some yards and some big plays on the field. And you know you can't you can't go broke taking a profit, but you also need to take the big opportunities and the big chances when you get them. And it seems like they're not always on the same page. You know, some of the the deep plays and the big plays aren't there. And other times when he looks underneath or he checks down, they are there. So it's just him continuing to grow and develop and learn. But the offense needs to get its swagger back. And hopefully they can do that next week against a Purdue team, which Gene, they're winning 21 to 7 now. And um, yikes.
1: I'm just glad we don't have to go there. I, uh, you just This is what Purdue does, man. You, you do not want to be a ranked team coming off an emotional win and having to go to Purdue. If you see that on your schedule, you should just lose the week before to the ranked team and get it over with because it is a nightmare to go play there.
0: I'll do you one better, Gene, because I've driven through West Lafayette. You don't want to go there under any circumstances. It's nothing but windmills, um, let alone to go and play a football game against the upset-minded giant killers that are Purdue. But just looking at that real quick, O'Connell, sixteen for 20, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Sparty is in Sparty's in some trouble right now.
1: Yeah, and you know we said that after we had watched the the Michigan Michigan State game that that Michigan State uh, secondary especially was a little bit suspect, and it seems like Aiden O'Connell is taking advantage there. Do we have Do we have David Bell stats? Is he putting up Rondell Moore numbers out there? What is he doing?
0: Uh, he has five catches for seventy eight yards and a touchdown, which is pretty much a normal half of football for him. He is. You know, I had really good things to say about Jahan Dotson and I, Michigan State's got the nailer and Reed, but I think David Bell is probably the most underrated wide receiver in the country. Like I was looking at mock draft stuff. He's not a top five wide receiver and he's not huge, you know, and he's not the fastest in the world, but for this guy's career, he averages a hundred yards a game and he's been a giant killer. You know what he does against Iowa. They never want to see that guy again. Um, they better be ready for him. They better have a game plan. And those DBs, they haven't been tested that much. Even last week when Jahan Dotson had 11 catches for like a buck 60, It's not like he burned Denzel Burke or he, he burned a Cam Brown that badly. It was just sort of a volume thing. David Bell will burn you. And he's great with the contested catch, too. So who knows what Michigan State's going to do the rest of this week. But you better be ready for David Bell.
1: Yeah, Jahan Dotson, kind of like you said, he's more of like a Chris Olave style receiver, where like he can beat you deep, but he's just an overall good wide receiver. And you know, like against Nebraska, a lot of their you know a lot of their strengths were that their receivers are just so big. We saw you know Samari Torre was almost like a helmet size. It seemed like you know they're only like two inches apart listed on the depth chart, but it it seemed like he was so much taller than Denzel Burke out there. They haven't really gone up against a true speedster like a Rondale Moore or a David Bell. So it will be a bit interesting. And, you know, uh, I would imagine that against a speech like that, that safety play will be a little bit important. And, you know, we've talked about Ohio State safety play in this podcast. So I think that's going to be a, a key area to watch next week. But we will, you know, obviously we will discuss that in our preview episode this week. But until then, uh, we will get out of your hair today. Uh, so like we said, you know, Ohio State wins again, keeps their season of hopes alive, uh, survive in advance, at least for now. You know, they, they went on the road, beat Nebraska. A really good crowd, honestly, in Nebraska. That that was a packed house. They were really into the yeah. game. They, you know, no no matter how good or bad Nebraska is, um, they 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 always come out for that game. And you know, I don't know if Scott Frost keeps his job after this year, but they they you were they were certainly trying out there. This is a team that they don't really have any quit. There was a point in that game when you know Ohio State went up twenty to ten that it looked like they were going to start to pull away and. Nebraska went up coming back, so I think Nebraska is a better team than their record indicates, even at three and seven. But at the end of the day, Ohio State probably should have scored more points, and we, you know, we discussed why why that kind of stuff happened, and we hope to see that improve as we move forward in the season. There's only three games left now, Josh. We're almost almost at the end here. It's kind of crazy to say. I feel like the season has flown by.
0: Yeah, it really has. I feel like uh, they were kicking off yesterday. I feel like that Oregon loss was just a couple of weeks ago, and it's only going to get tighter and more condensed and you know, potentially a little bit crazier as the season goes on. I, I don't want to kind of poo-poo this victory too much. I, I don't necessarily love the survive and advance mentality, but Michigan State's down two scores right now. Cincinnati's up five, but Tulsa's driving right before halftime. So make sure you don't lose, but try and look a little bit better in winning. That would be my biggest point. Find your swagger, get that back, and let's start putting up some points again.
1: Yeah, isn't Ryan Day thinking about like our emotions and how stressed we are during the games? Come on, just make our lives a little easier. You know, Ohio State fans <laughs> are so spoiled. We're not just asking for wins. We want easy wins, and we don't want to have to stress about it. That's all we're asking. That's not that much. I think it's, I think it's reasonable.
0: I, I agree. I think that Ryan Day needs to take into account our feelings. I'm getting a little bit more gray in my beard, I feel like, as a result of these last two weeks.
1: Also, why does he just refuse to win a coin toss? Can we talk about this? Ryan Day doesn't win coin tosses. I think
0: he's either the worst or maybe it's just by design or he's like, ah, I want to make the call on which end we defend. Um, it is kind of fun. It's it's odd, though, right? Like it's a 50 50 shot. And with Ryan Day, it's like a, he's got a 10 percent chance of calling that thing correctly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I honestly want to look back and see the result. I don't know mm. if you could find the results of the coin tosses, but I legitimately in the last two seasons think he's won like two, which, you know, it's just this, a funny thing, but it's th- at the end of the day, like not getting the ball at half is sort of important, and I know it's entirely a luck thing, but it is just funny that we do seem to always lose the coin toss.
0: Yeah, I think he's won one this season, and that's, uh, I guess, the second knock we would have on him along with the play calling the ba- the past couple of weeks, but... I I will remain steadfast in my confidence in him. I think they'll get it ironed out.
1: Well, I am officially calling for Ryan Day's firing purely based on the coin toss woes. But other than that, uh, we'll get out of here. So be sure to, you know, follow us at Holy Land for all of your usual stuff we'll have some stuff post-game for this one and we'll obviously have all the preview stuff for Purdue uh be sure to rate review subscribe to the podcast all that good stuff we will be back to you probably Wednesday with the Purdue preview Uh, so for Josh Dooley I am Gene Ross and as always go Bucks